You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Exodus chapter 11. Uh, we're going to go 11, 12, and 13, or a portion of 13 this morning. Um, we talked about the first nine plagues last week. And uh, we saved the 10th plague for a week to its own because it's important enough that we want to understand it and its depth of application to our life uh, on one day. And we're going to study that today. But it takes about two and a half chapters to study that, uh, that last plague. Many of you might be familiar with it. It is the Passover. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip to Exodus 11. If you don't have a Bible, um, I would love for you to take a Bible that is under the seat's in front of you, next to you, around you, um, and uh, and go ahead and find Exodus chapter 11. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to have that as a gift from us to you this morning. Um, we have, there we go, uh, talked about Exodus for the past seven weeks, I think, so far. Um, and uh, every single week, we've learned the same theme has applied. The theme that is overarching over all of the book of Exodus is that God is going to take a people, Israel, and form them to be his unique people in the world. To form them to be fully devoted Yahweh worshipers. To be people that no matter what goes on in their life, no matter what situations they find themselves in, no matter the trials they face, that they would be a unique people fully devoted to worshiping Yahweh no matter what. And then we find that as we talk about Exodus and the people of Israel, we find that really we're just reading our own story because God is forming us to be a unique people in the world, a people that are fully devoted Jesus worshipers. And we know that Jesus is the Father God, is the Holy Spirit. We are worshiping the same God that was forming Israel into a unique people. And so we are learning that this is a story of our own preparation, our own being set apart, our own being formed in the likeness of God. And so that no matter what we face in life, the good or the bad, that we can worship God and serve him alone. And that is our story that we find in the book of Exodus. Um, so uh, this morning I want to give you a snapshot of chapter 11. Okay? We're not going to dive deeply into Exodus chapter 11. We're just going to briefly glance through Exodus chapter 11 because in Old Testament story time, because this was originally oral tradition, they would tell a story in its format, and then they would go and they would find the important part of that story, and they would blow it up in big font and tell that in great detail. So Exodus chapter 11 is relatively short, and it's kind of the... Here's the story in summation, and then Exodus chapter 12 really extols those things into greater detail. So what we need to know about Exodus chapter 11 is in verse 1, if we just turn there, it says, The Lord says to Moses, one more plague, one more, just one, I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterwards, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he's not just going to say, I am freeing you, but he will drive you out. This idea of Pharaoh letting him letting uh, Israel go is a forceful letting go. It's a get the heck up out of Dodge, people. I am going to drive you from my presence. I no longer want you among me. I am going to make sure you go. This is a, a big sending, okay? So this is the idea that we have that God says, listen, I've declared a lot of things over Israel and Egypt in the past short while. 
But this time is the time that it's going to happen, that he will not only let you go, but this is the moment that he will send you out. That happens in verse 1. Verses uh, 12, uh, 2 through 3 um, is the instructions that God gives Israel. Listen, it's not just that I'm sending you, but here's how it's going to play out for Israel. Okay? Israel, you need to know that uh, I'm going to send you with riches. This is what God says. And you're going to have favor in the sight of Pharaoh and his people. Um, and then he begins to give some details. God describes the tenth plague in summary for Moses to explain to Pharaoh that there will be death. That the Lord will do this once and once only. And people will weep and mourn. Because in every household, someone will die. The firstborn son. And uh, all the cattle, firstborn. All the sheep, firstborn. Everything will die of the firstborn in Egypt. And he describes this in such a way that there will be a cry. That even the slaves will lose their firstborn. But then he says, listen, Israel and Egypt are different to me, God says. So what I want you to know is that Israel's going to be treated differently. There will be great cries of mourning in Egypt. But in Israel, not even a dog's going to bark at my people. There's going to be so much peace in Israel tonight. But in Egypt, there's going to be chaos and death and destruction. He's saying, listen, Pharaoh, you need to understand that I have set my people apart. I treat them differently. They follow me. They trust me. My people are different. And I'm going to prepare them to worship me in the wilderness. And then we read that Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. This is the story in short that God says, my people will be free. Now is the time I'm going to do it. Here's how it's going to play out. And then we need some more details. I imagine if, if you heard, if you were Israel or Egypt in that point, you heard the last plague is coming, you would want to know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to wear? How do I avoid this? Right? Chapter 12 is the one that kind of breaks the details down for us. God gives really detailed instructions to Israel in chapter 12, not Egypt, right? Because Israel is God's chosen firstborn nation, right? They're like the firstborn son for God. This is his child, the nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to give them very detailed instructions. Chapter 12, verses 1 through, mm, 1 through 13-ish. Give very detailed instructions on the night of the plague, what you're supposed to do. Listen, this is going to be a beginning for you, God says. In fact, it's such a beginning, if you read in verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first of the year. God takes Israel away from the Egyptian calendar and says, no longer is your calendar and your life and everything you know going to be oriented around the worship and the calendar of the Egyptian gods. But now I'm going to take you out of that calendar. So I'm going to make you a new calendar, God says. I'm so awesome that now this day, this Passover, is going to be the beginning for a new calendar year for you. That is going to be oriented around a new set of worship, the worship of Yahweh. A new feast, Passover. A new 
way of life. And your whole life is going to be reoriented around this calendar. And in this beginning, you're going to take a lamb. And, and if, if your family is too poor for a lamb, because you're slaves, you might not have. If your family is too poor for a lamb, then join together with other families. God makes provision for the poorest of the poor, the most oppressed in his nation. And he defends them, and he provides for them an opportunity to gather together in community and still be under his blessing. He says to take the lamb that is without blemish, prepare it, keep it until the 14th of the month, and then gather together as a nation and sacrifice that lamb. And you'll take the blood of the lamb and you'll paint it over the doorposts of your house. Then you'll roast the lamb and you'll eat it in a specific way. God continues to detail out for them on this night of Passover. It's not just that the lamb needs to be spotless, but you guys need to be ready to move because I'm going to free you. And you need to eat specific things, including unleavened bread, because you do not have time to wait for the bread to rise and be baked. You need to eat food quickly because I will free you. Eat with sandals on your feet, which was uncommon in that day because you would recline at the table. It's not like we had dining room tables, right? They would recline on the floor together, they would eat together, and you'd have someone's dirty, stinky feet in your face, right? So you'd wash your feet first, and then you'd recline at the table. But now, the Lord is saying, put your sandals on, put them up in someone's face, and be ready to eat food together, okay? We are going to go. And he says this, it is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land. This is verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt. And I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. It's interesting. Um, there's a church father, Jerome. Um, and he records in his writings that there was um, such a night in Egypt uh, where there was an earthquake, a natural disaster upon natural disaster. And what is recorded of the event is that the temples in Egypt collapsed upon themselves. The idols fell over. Um, so in the night when God says, I'm going to pass over Egypt and the firstborn are going to die, and I will execute judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. Remember, everything that he did in the plagues is to show himself as the God, the most powerful God, the God over all. One by one, he took out all the little gods of Egypt with the plagues. And in one final swoop, he knocked all of the worship pillars over. All of the statues that were false gods. He says, listen, they can't stand in my presence. They are not God. You cannot worship them. And the blood will be a sign for you, verse 13, on the houses where you are. I think that's interesting. The blood will be a sign for you, not for me. This is God speaking. It doesn't say the blood will be a sign for me. Because the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God gives very detailed instructions to his people. This is how this night will go. You do not need to fear detail by detail. I'm going to walk you through what your salvation will look like. And then we read 14 through 20. God says, now this night that I just detailed for you is not just going to be a one-time event, but I want you in this new calendar that I'm preparing for you, I want you to continually 
experience this. Year after year, I want you to worship in this way. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to practice worshiping me as your Savior. And so the 14 through 20 verses talk about how year after year you will worship me in this way. And what's interesting about this is that he gives specific laws for the people of Israel and the sojourners among Israel. He gives provision for the people who are not the people of God to become the people of God. We think that in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the people in Acts of Pentecost, we think that's the moment when God opens up the doors of the church, opens up the doors of his heart, opens up the doors of his kingdom to people that were not Israel. But it, it started in Exodus. When he started forming his people is when he opened up the door and said, the identity of my church is one that is anybody can come and participate. Anybody can come and receive the blessing of the kingdom. And he gives provision for that at the very formation of his people. I think that is significant. And then 21 through 28. Moses calls the elders of the people of Israel together, and he gives them the instructions that God gave him. And the people obeyed this. They heard the word of the Lord of what was going to happen, and then they obeyed because they trusted that God was a God of his word, that God was going to do this, and they should do what God asked them to do. Here's what we're going to dive in in detail. I want to read for you uh, verse 29 through verse 50. And if you are comfortable standing for that period of time, you can go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. We're going to read the tenth plague and the things that follow. Lord, as we read your word, as we understand that you are forming for yourself a people unique in the world, would you help us understand your heart in these passages? And would you help us find our place in the midst of that? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. The tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who were in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a single house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds. And he has also said, Be gone, and bless me in the process. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We will all be dead if you don't leave. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for the silver and the gold jewelry and the clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and so they let them take whatever they had asked. And so thus the Israel had plundered the Egyptians. And then the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. In addition to that, there were women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, 
very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cake of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. They were thrust out of Egypt quickly, could not wait. They had not prepared any provisions for themselves. This passage is not talking about Israel. These verses are talking about the mixed multitude who didn't receive the kind of heads up that Israel did, but these are people from Egypt and surrounding nations that had experienced great tragedy and said, this is pretty gnarly what just happened, but we see the power of God and we want to participate in what God is doing. They gathered up everything they could in haste and they left. Verse 40, that time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, and it was night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And so this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel through all their generations. And then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, this is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner will eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you've circumcised him, after they have been brought into the covenant of our relationship. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in the house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house. You shall not break any of its bones. It's a foretelling to Christ. Christ, not a bone was broken when he died on the cross for our sins. All the congregation of Israel will keep this. And if a stranger will sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, then let his males be circumcised. He may come near and keep it, and he will be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There should be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts, by their great numbers. And the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, of both man and beast, it is mine. And this is the word of the Lord for you this morning. You may be seated. The death of the firstborn. Um, I was reading in some commentaries that described this in a way that I had not thought of it before. Again, my mind is continually framed by that um, Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, right? Um, and so, I, having watched that from a young age every Easter, and then coming to Christ, right? And then studying the scriptures, that's always kind of the framework that my mind has taken, was that first impression that I had. It was not actually from scripture, but it was from a Hollywood movie, right? It's a wonderful movie, but it's not scripture. And so as I began to study these passages and see them as God intended them, uh, I'm starting to understand that it is not necessarily like Hollywood portrays it. Um, and in this death of the firstborn passage, this plague that God foretold even before the first plague. He said, I will, we read in the very early passages of Exodus, I will send a plague, the firstborn of every house will die. God told everybody, this is what I'm going to do. And it says at midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeons, to the firstborn of the cattle. And there was this great cry in Egypt. 
as people realized every household lost someone. And I used to villainize the people of Egypt, right? Because they're mean and they're taskmasters and they beat the Israelites, but I realized they're people, right? They might have beat their slaves, but they also loved their family. And, and I began to struggle with this passage because this is devastating, what God did. And we've talked about the idea that the wrath of God confuses people with the grace of God in the New Testament. And some people think these are two separate gods, two separate moments in history. That we follow the Jesus, but not the wrath God, right? We follow the God who loves us and welcomes us, but we really kind of distance ourselves from the God who pours out wrath. But we can't separate the two because they're one and the same because the very Jesus who gave us grace received all of the wrath of God. It was poured out on him, not us. And in Egypt that night, as I was reading a commentary, he was describing that night in the words that were used in the original language to convey this night. And the word, uh, the phrase when it says, and there was a great cry in Egypt that night, it can be interpreted one of two ways. And there's scholars that debate both sides of it. One is that people woke up in the middle of the night or in the morning and saw their loved ones dead and there was this great cry of mourning. And that's what was uh, viewed in the, uh, the movie that I watched as a child. That people would wake up and they would find their loved ones dead and they would cry. The other interpretation of that, that word, um, to cry out, was the idea of a cry out of pain and suffering. That the cry that was heard in Egypt that night, and not in Israel, was the actual crying out of the person who was dying. And so everywhere in Egypt you could hear suffering, pain, and sorrow as people were dying and crying out and people were watching their loved ones die. And they were seeing the reality of sin being played out in front of them in a horrifying way. And no doubt loud enough that Israel could hear. But in Israel, we read in chapter 11, not even a dog was barking. There was peace in Israel. And the difference between Israel and Egypt was the blood of a lamb. The difference between Israel and Egypt was the fact that something substituted for their death. That instead of the firstborn dying in the house of Israel, the firstborn lamb that was spotless took its place. And so you have this contrast between what God was doing in Egypt and what God was doing in Israel. And what God was doing in Egypt was pouring out wrath for sin to free his people. That sin has to be judged. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Israel was the benefit of the forgiveness. And then there's this moment in history. I didn't know what to call it. I called it kingdom stowaways. Because um, I, as I was reading, I got this idea. Like, we know that Egypt suffered that night in phenomenal ways. Watching their loved ones die in a painful way, that'd be terrible. Or... Even just waking up, depending on the way you want to view that word, waking up and finding your child dead. Horrible. 
Israel didn't experience that, right? But when we read verses 43 or 33 through 42, the Egyptians were urgent to send the people out or else we'll all die is what they said. And we don't know that this is going to end. This is really bad. This is the worst thing as a nation we have ever experienced. If you don't leave, surely your God will keep killing us until we send you. So the people gathered themselves up and they were sent out, right? They took all of the riches. And then people of Israel journeyed, right, on foot. Verse 38, a mixed multitude went with them. Something really significant about this mixed multitude, the kingdom stowaways. This mixed multitude were not Israel. This mixed multitude were people who were living in Egypt. They were Egyptians. They were whatever other nations lived among Egypt that I probably can't pronounce and would have to look at a map to find out, right? A mixed multitude of people woke up the morning after Passover having loved ones that had died, watching them suffer through the night, grieving over something that had happened from the slave to the Pharaoh's household. And this mixed multitude said, we have experienced something horrifying at the hands of Yahweh. And yet, in this process, we've come to realize that Yahweh is a God of his word. And Yahweh has favor for his people. And Yahweh protects the most oppressed people. He is a defender, and he is righteous, and he is a judge. And we want to be with that God. And so this mixed multitude did the best they could to get their stuff together as fast as they could so that they could leave with Israel. They didn't want to stay where God's judgment was. They wanted to go where God's blessing was. And they gathered on to just the faintest bit of hope and said, if we go with Israel, maybe God will have mercy on us too. There was a mixed multitude that went with them. They took their livestock and their herds and everything else that they had, and they didn't prepare for themselves any provisions because they didn't trust Yahweh. And then suddenly their hearts were turned towards Yahweh, and they said, i got to drop everything, and i got to go with this Yahweh. And we know from verse 11, or chapter 11, that God made provision for the sojourners among them. That God made provision for kingdom stowaways. That God made a way for people that were once under wrath to find a way to be under blessing. And you want to know what? We are those kingdom stowaways, people. I was not born in Israel. I was not, I'm not an Israelite. You are not an Israelite. You are not circumcised under the covenant. We are all kingdom stowaways. Provision has been made for us to be under the blessing, not under the curse of wrath. Provision by the blood of the Lamb. And uh, as all of these people are making their exodus, the, the nation of Israel and its great multitudes, and then these kingdom stowaways that have gone, God describes, verses 33 through 50, this covenant choice. He says, it's not just enough that you come and hang out with my people. He says, I've got so much more in store for you. You can come and hang out and be with my people to your heart's content, but there's something more. And in uh, verses 43 through 50, 
He institutes the Passover for the people. He says, this is the statute. This is the law. This is the way my people will worship me. This is the way my people will interact with me. If you're a foreigner, you will not participate in this, God says. But every slave that is bought for money can participate after they have been circumcised. After they have committed to the covenant of relationship with me. That was circumcision, not a covenant you entered into lightly for obvious reasons. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of this Passover meal, God says. But, verse 48, if a stranger decides to be with you, call you friend and family. If a stranger decides to journey with you and wants to keep the Passover like you do, wants to submit to me like you do, sees the way that you live and the blessing that I give you and wants to participate in that, then let them be circumcised. Let them become part of the family of God. Let them be as if they always were my child. So there's a, a covenant choice that God gives people. You can come and sojourn with me and my people, God says. But if you want to participate in the kingdom, if you want the preferred future that I have set out for my chosen people, if you want to be formed in my image to be a unique people in the world, then you must make a choice to go beyond just being with my people and to become one of my people. And that's done through covenant choice. And in Israel, it was circumcision. The covenant that God gave Abraham to say, so that you will be different than the rest of the world. Here is a sign. You all be circumcised. This is how we will interact with one another. A portion of your flesh will be cut off. And then in the New Testament, we have this idea that something else was cut off instead. Christ. He was cut off from the land of the living. He experienced the wrath of God poured out on him so that when we enter into covenant, we were once sojourners with the people of God, seeing the people of God. But when we decided that we wanted to be the people of God, our bodies were not harmed. Christ's body was. Our souls received grace. Christ's was separated from God, cut off from the presence of the Father for a period of time. So Israel received the blessing of the covenant and all those kingdom sojourners, all those stowaways who left with them on the night of Passover had a decision to make. Come and hang out with the people of God, journey with them, or become one of the people of God. God's heart is big enough, his kingdom is expansive enough, that whether you were born in Egypt or whether you were born in Israel, God said, I will love anybody who chooses to place their trust in me. I love them even if they don't choose to place their trust in me. But I love them enough to give them the choice. 
And we've talked briefly about this kind of hit or miss throughout the sermon. Jesus and Passover. When you read, um, let's see, flip to Matthew 26 for me. Should have told you not to lose your finger in Exodus chapter 12. My bad. Exodus chapter 12, the heading was the institution of Passover. That's what we just read. When God said, Here, here's what is going to happen. And then in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 17, the heading is Passover with the disciples. So here we have down through the generations, the people of God have continually, year after year, oriented their lives to worship Yahweh. Practicing Passover over and over and over again, taking the lamb and setting it apart for several days before Passover. Setting it apart from the rest of the flock and saying, this is the one that will be killed for us. And then they, they would kill it and they would sprinkle the blood over their doorposts just like they always had and their fathers had always had and their grandfathers had always had and their great-grandfathers and their great-great-great-grandfathers down through time. Remembering the night that God freed them and formed them to be a unique people. Then Jesus decided he was going to celebrate Passover with his friends. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where would you have us prepare for you? The Passover? Where should we eat the Passover this week? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus directed and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you has sojourned with us, but is not one of us. They were very sorrowful and began to say after one another, Is it me? Am I the one? How do I know that I'm with you? How do I know? And he answered, He who's dipped his hand in the dish with me is the one who betrayed me, will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. I know this is going to happen. I have prepared for this. I am submitting to the Lord in this way. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if he had never been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. And then there is a turn in the conversation, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We see that he's having Passover, and now the term is called the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take this. This is my body. And that's language reminiscent of the Passover, because this is the Passover meal. Take the lamb... And eat of it, because they ate the Passover lamb. Year after year after year. And then he took a cup, and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, because it's this, the blood of the covenant. The, the, the lamb that you would sacrifice. And the blood that, when you would kill it, you would pour into a basin and set it apart so that it would not become unclean. And you would take a hyssop branch, and you would take that hyssop branch, and you would dip it in the blood of the lamb and you would paint it over your doorpost now i'm telling you that this cup represents the blood of the lamb me who will die for your sins 
And I want you to take it and I want you to consume it. I want you to become intimate with me in such a way that you've never been before. I want you to understand that it is not now an outer sign that saves you, but something that happens on the inside of you. It's no longer an outer covenant, the cutting off of your flesh of circumcision, but it is an inner covenant, the cutting off of your sin nature in your heart that changes you and makes you part of the people of God. Take this. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, not just the people of Israel, but for many, any who would come and partake can. And I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. The Lord Jesus says, listen, everything that was prepared in the Old Testament, everything that you have learned in the law, everything that your people have celebrated year after year after year after year, was all leading to the moment when I would come onto the scene and I would submit to the Father and I would bear the wrath of God and you would become covenant members of the kingdom of God. Not just the nation of Israel, but the preferred future of God for his people down through time until he makes all things new. Flip to John chapter 6 for me. John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will not thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Here is provision for kingdom stowaways. Whoever comes to Jesus will not be cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose any that he has given me, raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will give him resurrection on that day. Right? This is phenomenal. This is what was happening in Egypt when God said, if sojourners are among you and they want to participate in the Passover, they want to become part of Israel, then Enter them into the covenant. Circumcise them and allow them to be just as you are. And Jesus says, listen, God's heart is such that if you want to be part of the people of God, just look my direction. That's all it says. There's nothing else you need to do. Anyone who just looks on the sun. Look at Jesus and you see love and forgiveness. And you're forgiven. This is beautiful, right? Because we are kingdom stowaways who then get to participate in the blessing of God's kingdom. Flip to this last verse. 1 Corinthians 11. 23 through 29. And this is when Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. And... Uh, it's being recounted as a conversation. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. So do this, again, orient your life around the worship of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, the one that circumcises your heart and makes it clean and pure. Do this. And as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death instead of your own until he comes again. But then there's this. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself before eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. Because whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body, is your heart circumcised or uncircumcised? Do you love the Lord? Do you not love the Lord? He eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, we see there is a delineation between people who love and serve God and people who don't. And God says, anyone who wants to come look at me can. Anyone who wants to participate in this covenant meal can. I am not stopping anybody, no matter their background, their lifestyle, their, anything. Anybody can come and live and fellowship with me. But you have to make a covenant choice. You have to examine your heart. Don't, don't just do it because everybody else is doing it. Don't just doing it because it's a snack or because you feel pressure. Examine your heart. Are you in covenant relationship with Christ? If so, eat and drink to your soul's content. And if not, then don't. And that's okay. You can live among the people of God. There's provision for you to be with the people of God. And chance over and over and over again to make a covenant choice. Passover is something we still celebrate today. But we celebrate it as Jesus instituted it. We celebrate it as something in which God did for our souls. To prepare for us to be a people that worships him unashamedly. Unique in the world. We are different than the rest of the world. Our hearts have been circumcised. And because of that, we value God's preferred future of the kingdom, which is one that says all are welcome, all are loved, all deserve grace. And we pour ourselves out like Jesus poured himself out so that other people may see and know and experience the goodness of God's kingdom. But we don't do that lightly. So when we come and we take the elements this morning, and the team is going to come and lead us in a song. We do so recognizing that God has prepared for us to be a unique people in the world. Set apart, different, protected by the blessings of God. And no one is excluded from that kingdom. And so if you have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you, as scripture said, have not yet looked upon the Son... Then it says, evaluate that before you partake. But don't let that stop you from partaking if you want to be part of the kingdom of God. Then this meal can be the very first time you say, this body and this blood was shed for me, poured out for me, broken for me. 
And I take this as a sign that I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I know that this little cup of juice is this little wafer. This is a cup and a wafer. But I take it in faith knowing that when I look at the Son of God, He has circumcised my heart. He has cut away sin. He has been separated on my behalf so that I am now joined to Him. This can be the first time in your life you become a member of the kingdom of God. And that can be today. It can also be the time as a member of the kingdom of God, you say, I've been a member, but boy, I haven't walked with God for a while. Boy, I've not trusted God for a while. Boy, I need some extra grace for something going on in my life today. And he fills you with that afresh. This is a meal of remembrance. It is a meal of covenant. It is a meal that is a healing moment for your soul. And we do it individually, and we do it corporately, because we are the body of Christ. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.